Thank you for joining me on episode 37 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And mom, did you know that you can create a legacy? Mother's Day is this weekend, and I wanted to share a Mother's Day message with you from a few years ago. Rahab is a woman with a past, but she chose the God of Israel and changed the world through her risks. Learn today how you can do the same. I know that for some ladies, Mother's Day is a painful time, and it could be because of infertility or a loss or um, a loss of a mother or whatever it is. But I just want to let you ladies know that each one of you is commissioned by God, no matter what your circumstance, whether you're a mother or not. You're a spiritual mom, and we are all a part of the body of Christ. And so coming from someone who doesn't have Christians in their family, this is where I come to find spiritual moms, and this is where I come to find spiritual grandmas and where I've been adopted. So I just want to remind you that you're all called with a purpose. Amen? All right, ladies, you may go ahead and be seated. So as we continue our series on family vision which is awesome that it happens to fall on Mother's Day. When you think of a good, encouraging Mother's Day sermon, a prostitute really isn't what you had in mind, right? But through studying the scriptures, and if you could all turn to Joshua chapter 2, through studying the scriptures, I have found uh, Rahab to now be one of my true heroes. A woman who has an amazing story of God's deliverance and of God's redemption and provision and, and, her, and, her, and her amazing faith. But who was this woman, Rahab, that we find in Joshua chapter 2? The Bible calls her a harlot, or in some versions, a prostitute. And a lot of theologians believe because she lived inside the walls of Jericho, that she was kind of in cahoots with the king. So any suitors that she could bring in from outside of the walls she could gather information and then relay it back to the king. So this is my theory. This is just my theory. She knew exactly who the spies were when she saw them. That either she was in her window or she was in the city gate, she knew exactly who they were, and that's why she brought them into her home. So we start out in Joshua chapter 1. It takes over from Deuteronomy, and Moses has died. And now God says, okay, Joshua, it is now your time to take the Israelites into the promised land. God gives Joshua these instructions. And so Joshua is gathering up his troops. He says, listen, all we have three days. And so he secretly takes two spies and he sends them into Jericho. And then Rahab, she brings them into her home and she places them. She hides them on her roof underneath flax. Well, the king gets wind of what's going on, that there are spies in Jericho. So he sends men to her home. And she says, listen, they were here, but they're gone. They, they, if, you, if you hurry by the Jordan, you can catch them. So yes, she lied hiding the spies. I, I just want to clarify, Scripture does not condone her lying. Scripture only commends the fact that she hid the spies in her faith. But that's a whole other sermon. She goes back up on her roof, and we pick up in verse 8. 
Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and what a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Og and the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to yours. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for yours, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was a part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills, your pursuers will not find you there. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we have entered the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family into the house, and if any of them go outside of your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible." As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath as you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied a red cord out her window. Rahab leaves this cord outside of her window. The spies go to the hill country and they stay there for three days. Once the pursuers have gone and they're back in Jericho, they leave, they cross the Jordan and they go back and they tell Joshua everything that had just happened. So everybody go ahead and turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter six. We're going to be in our Bibles a lot today. Is that okay? So now it's time and Joshua, he takes the Israelites and he takes them to the Jordan. And just as 40 years prior, the Red Sea parted, so does the Jordan. It parts and they all cross on dry land. They get across the Jordan River. Joshua has them all circumcised. And while they're waiting for healing, he gets more instructions from the Lord. And God says to him, you are to take your troops. You are to go around Jericho for the next six days, one time a day. And on the seventh day, you will go around seven times. And so that's exactly what Joshua did. He took his troops around Jericho once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. They shouted, all the walls fell except for where? Rahab's house with her scarlet cord hanging outside of her window as a sign of protection upon her and her family. So we pick up in verse 17. This is Joshua talking. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house will be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. So the two men that were rescued, now they are going to rescue her. Verse 23. So the young men who had done the spying 
went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. And listen, this is really important. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua sent out as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Do you know what this tells me? This tells me that God was not Rahab's genie in a bottle. That, hey, I saved the spies, will you save me, was not her get-out-of-jail-free card this one time. But she left everything that she knew, and she made a different choice. Her family lived outside the camp, but her choice was to live among the Israelites. Now, this is important, because according to the book of Leviticus, in the Israelite law, any form of adultery is automatic death. So this means not only does she leave her family, but she has to leave her career. Anything that she's ever worked for is gone. And in the Israelite culture, if you did not have a husband, if you did not have a son, you were destined for poverty. So she has no way of living. She has no way of an income, but yet she makes a different choice to go and live with the Israelites, no matter what it means, destined for her. So everybody go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Because Rahab's story does not end there. All of you who have ignored genealogy your whole life when coming to the Bible, this is important, okay? So we're going to pick up in verse 2. Rahab was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now skip down to verse 5. Solomon, the father of Boaz. Who was Boaz's mother? Rahab. Rahab, or excuse me, Boaz, in modern day terms, we would call him Stud Muffin. He was a hottie, all right? This is Boaz. He's everything that Pastor Kerry talked about last week as far as a man goes. He's a leader. He's a lover. He's a provider. He's a protector. He was Ruth's kingsman redeemer, which is what Jesus is for us today. And Christian Gray's got nothing on this guy, okay? So if you're looking for a good romance novel, forget Fifty Shades of Grey, turn to the book of Ruth. And you can steal this from me. This is fine. But when I pray for my daughter at night and I say, Lord, if you've called her to marry, send her a Boaz. That's what I want for her. Send her a Boaz. And God, help me to raise my sons to be Boazes. So we continue reading. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of who? King David. One of the greatest kings that has ever lived on this earth. And is still one of the most talked about heroes to this day. Now skip all the way down to verse 16. And who does it say and who this genealogy is about? Jesus. Yes. The Messiah came from her. Now I'm not saying that a Messiah is going to come from you, ladies. But look at the fact that she made a choice to serve the one true God, to give up everything she ever known to serve the one true God, not only changed her lineage, but it changed the world. And it changed history as we know it. We look at 
Boaz, and we look at King David and Solomon, David and Solomon, who wrote a huge portion of the Old Testament. King Josiah, who became a king at seven years old and led his country victoriously. Mary, who is obedient and gave birth to the Christ. All of these people came from Rahab. And yes, not everybody served the Lord from her lineage, but she planted seeds and fruit was born. All because she decided to take a risk and protect her family. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Rahab is one of the heroes of faith. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of mom and the type of spiritual mom that when I get to heaven, my name is on that wall because of the risks that I took to protect my children and my spiritual children. Some see this cord as a type of Christ's blood. Because 40 years before Rahab, the Israelites took blood and they plastered it on their uh, doors. So that way the angel of death passed over their houses and passed them in judgment. Rahab hung a cord out her window and judgment from the Israelites was passed over her and her family. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus spilt his blood so now that we can be passed of death. So that judgment is passed over us. So people kind of look at this as as a symbol, a symbol of Jesus. In James chapter 2, it's it's the, the scripture that says, faith without works is dead. And they specifically list Rahab because it wasn't just her words that showed faith. It was her actions that showed faith. So I have to ask, what actions do we take What risks do we take in order to protect our families? And these are the ones that I really felt God lay on my heart. Number one, take a risk and say no. You know that one question that you know you're waiting for your young children to answer or ask, but you really just don't want to answer it? And as they're starting to grow, they're starting to see certain things, and you know that question is coming. And two years ago, my daughter says to me, Mom, when do I get a cell phone? I'm like, that's awesome. I was really trying hard to avoid that question. And I said, baby, when you turn 18 and you move out of my house, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be that strict, but it's okay to be the uncool parent and say no to certain things. And I have, <laughs> Billy has said it more than once, let me tell you. But I have kids downstairs, and they will, and let me tell you, I am on your side, okay? I've had kids downstairs complain, my mom won't let me have an iPad. I said, it's because she's smart. That's why, okay? I had one girl downstairs uh, about a month ago, and she says, my mom always says, because I told you so. And I don't understand that, because I told you so. I wish you would just explain it to me. And I said, baby, let me let, me let you in on a secret. Because I told you so is mom's grace and mercy with you. Because she's about ready to send you to the moon without a suit. Okay? Because she's so tired of being asked the same questions over and over and over by multiple children. It is okay to say no. It is okay to say because I told you so. Because what comes into our houses goes into our child's brains, and it is our job to make sure that that is protected, that their minds are protected. And also, it's okay to say no in order to protect your family time. Now, I am not against football, and I'm not against swimming lessons, and I'm not against Facebook, and I'm not against all those things. 
But when all of those piled on are taking away time with our family, then we have a problem. When you look at the book of Exodus, you see that Moses, he commissions all the Israelites, not just moms and dads. He commissions everybody, and he gathers them all up, and he says, listen, there are four ways to disciple, your, disciple the children, disciple the next generation coming up. And that is we walk along the road. We don't really walk anymore. We drive cars. So you spend time with them. Turn off the radio and talk with your kids. We sit down together. When do we normally sit down together? To dinner. And if you work second shift, make it breakfast. Make it lunch. Make it something where you are gathered together as a family and you are sitting down together. When you go to bed, when they get up, and I'll have to tell you, the most intimate times I've personally had with my children, because they still like me at this point, (laughs) is when I crawl in bed with them and we cuddle. And that's when I hear, Mom, this is what I feel like God's called me to do. Mom, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Mom, I had a really bad day at school, and this is why. Those are the intimate times that I get because I try to follow what Moses said. And if there are things in our lives that are cluttering that time, then we really need to pray, Lord, how can I get rid of that clutter in order to spend more time with my family? Number two, take a risk and communicate. Now, communication is hard for us because it either sets us up for acceptance or rejection. Or maybe it's just plain uncomfortable. We don't like to talk. And when we communicate with God, again, it sets us up. Is God going to accept my request or is he going to reject my request? And so that's very difficult for us. But I'll tell you what, Satan is after our kids. I see it every day working in kids' ministry. I see it. He is after our kids. Are we willing to plant seeds? Are we willing to go to the throne room, to go at war, to fight for our children? and to communicate with God. Because let me tell you something. If you've had more than one kid, you know they are all different. Amen? Good night. You got one kid, and then you have a second one, and you're like, Lord, what sin did I commit that I can't figure this out? I thought I had this whole parenting thing figured out. And then when you got the second one figured out, there comes the third, and you're like, dear Jesus, I don't know what to do. And, I, and God does that on purpose. And that's so we can be in constant communication with him because he's the one that has the wisdom on our kids. He's the one who created them. He knows what to do with each one. And also, we need to be in communication with our children, with our family members. We tend to, as a society, we tend to overprotect in some areas and then we underprotect in other areas. Man, we'll give lectures. Make sure you have that helmet. Make sure you have those elbow pads and those knee pads. But we're not talking about sex. We're not talking about pornography, evolution, all those things that are being poured into their brains on a regular basis. We need to really communicate with our children the things that are going to affect their salvation. My husband, David, and I were in the process of entering into our next phase of parenting, the the pubescent stage, which I know most families do not look forward to. And so we're reading about it, and we're saying, okay, Lord, how how do we talk to our children about the changes that are happening in in their bodies? And how do we work with um, answering those tough questions? And so one night, we looked at each other, and I said, did anybody talk to you about sex? No. Did anybody talk to you? No. And I thought, oh my goodness, 
we learned about this in all the wrong places. But praise God, we sat under a youth pastor and we sat under a senior pastor that taught us as teenagers how to navigate that. But in my mind, I was like, this is awesome. I get to change that for my kids. I get to be the influence in their life and say, hey, this is how you navigate this. Because let me tell you something, pornography and evolution and sex and all those things are going to be way more damaging than falling off a bike. Number three, take a risk for your marriage or your singleness. We in this culture, we are so far from God's design of what marriage and singleness should be that it's really ruining the fabric of our society. Married people, listen, you need to protect that marriage. And I understand when kids come on the scene that you've got to arrange, rearrange certain things, but we need to be making time for each other and communicating with one another, praying for one another, having sex. Did the kids pastor just say that? Yes, she did. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it tells us that our bodies are not our own and that we need to be constantly coming together. And the only time that we are to be apart is if it's mutual and it's prayer and fasting, and then you come back together right away. Why do you think God says that? Anybody? Protection. Thank you. Protection. It's to help protect your marriage. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Kerry was preaching, and he talked about how as men and as husbands that we need to look at women as, as God's daughters and how we treat them. And all the women in this room, like all of a sudden became Pentecostal. Amen, pastor. That's right. Hallelujah. That's right. Those men need to be treating those women good. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely right. But ladies, we need to be treating our husbands as sons of God. We need to be lifting them up. Do we want to be the wives that tear down our men or to be lifting them up? And if you're single in this room and you totally tune me out, turn me back right on in. I don't care if you're a single mom, if you're a single dad, if you're single with no kids, people are watching you. No pressure. But you are being watched by this next generation. How are you handling singleness? Do your children or do the people around you see you as whole? See you as someone that in the midst of my loneliness is still chasing after Jesus and still has a plan and the purpose for their life? I grew up with a single mom. I met one boyfriend, and that was the man she married and is now the grandfather to my kids. But I see it with women, boyfriend after boyfriend, in and out of the house. And man, you are setting up an unstable household, but also a pattern for what they will live in the future. And here's what's been my philosophy. Think about what kind of adults do I want my children to become? And then I become that person. Because what they see me do is what they will do in return. Am I a single person that chases after God, that takes the risk to be lonely in order to pursue what he wants? Am I a spouse that lifts my husband up, that takes a risk and serves my spouse, no matter what the culture is telling us to do? For women in our culture, it's almost considered righteous to tear down our husbands. That is the furthest of what God wants from us. Number four. Take a risk and lose control. Now, I understand there are times you need to be in control. If you're in the car, it's best that you hold the steering wheel, right? 
to protect yourself. However, there are situations where we need to step back and lose control. And we do that when we come to Christ. We say, you know what, God? I trust you, and I come under your protection. But in our culture, we get protection and control mixed up, and we think that if we are in control, then we're saving ourselves from abuse, and we're saving ourselves from being dominated. So that's why a lot of women hate that, you know, that one swear word, submission. And we hate that word. But being dominated by your husband is the furthest from the truth. What submission means is it says, babe, I trust you. And so I'm going to let go and I'm going to come under your protection. Because listen, my husband cannot protect me if I am constantly in control. God cannot protect me if I am constantly in control. And we have to remember that our children are not our own. The people that we disciple are not ours. It's just what God has placed us in steward over. So we have to say, no matter where our children are at, if, if our children are prodigals, if they're little babies right now, if they're adults and we're empty nesters, it doesn't matter. We need to say, Lord, I place them in your hands. And I trust you. Because you see, you see a lot of parents and they, they hover. And, and they're like those helicopter parents. And I tell you, and because in their minds, I'm protecting. If I'm a helicopter parent, I am protecting because I'm in control. That will only lead to rebellion. Controlling our children and dominating them will only lead to rebellion, especially that middle school age. And I'm not saying that we're unwise and that we don't navigate. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we trust God that when we're in communication with him, that he's going to give us the wisdom that we need to lead and to guide what he's given us. Rahab didn't know 100% that these men would actually fulfill the oath that she made with them. But she didn't trust in the men. She didn't trust in the oath that she made with them. She trusted in the one they served. A woman who had never seen a miracle, only heard of them. She never saw the parting of the Red Sea. She never tasted manna from heaven. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And this woman had more faith than the Israelites had who were living it and who were seeing it. But she lost control. And she, at that point, came under God's protection. And she said, God, I trust you. If I could go ahead and have the worship team come on up. The fact that God took a harlot and made her a heroine should be encouraging to all of us. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That no matter where we're at in our lives, God can use us to change the world. He took away her past and he gave her a future. Now when you look at all the accounts of Rahab throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it always says Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute, except in the genealogy of Jesus. It just said, Boaz's mother, Rahab. Why do you think that is? Not Rahab the harlot. She was redeemed. She was redeemed. God had delivered her. God did not see her as a harlot. God no longer saw her past. He no longer saw her as a prostitute. God saw her as redeemed as her child and delivered her. And then I have to ask this question. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones left living from the old generation that came across the Red Sea. They had wandered for 40 years. 
Joshua and Caleb had that faith that they were going to take the promised land. And when God gave Joshua instructions, he knew that they were going to take it over. God had told them. But yet he sends out two spies. And I've got to ask myself, why? Is it because maybe God chose Rahab? That of all the people in Jericho, out of all the prostitutes, it ends up with Rahab. That it wasn't just that Rahab chose God, but God chose Rahab. That deep inside the walls of a pagan city, he saw a woman's heart. And he said, I have a plan and I have a purpose for that woman. I don't think it was an accident that Rahab was in the genealogy of Jesus. I think God did that on purpose. God plucked her out. He chooses her just as he's chosen each and every single one of you to be changed so you can change the world. Just as Joshua ushered in the Israelites into the promised land, it is our job, ladies, to be Rahab's to help usher in the Great Commission. If I can have you all stand. If I can have heads, heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know where a lot of you are at, but I know that you are not in this service for an accident. Maybe you can relate to Rahab and you say, well, no, I'm not a prostitute. Well, no, but the Bible tells us we've all prostituted ourselves to sin. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all broken God's law. And if you say, I no longer want to be prostituted to sin, I don't want to be Rahab the harlot, but I want to be just Rahab. Rahab that's redeemed, that's delivered. And if that's you in this room, will you raise your hand? You say, I want to serve Christ. If I can have all the ladies come on up front all the ladies, not just moms. I want all the ladies to come up and I want you to go ahead and I want you to grab a scarlet cord from up here. I want you to stay up at the altar. This cord I want you to take home. This is a symbol. This is a reminder to you to pray for protection. God, what risk do I take to protect my family? You can keep it in your Bible. You can put it above your child's doorway, whatever it is. Take that as a symbol. Ladies, I want you to all come up further here. No spaces. No spaces. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but I can tell you one thing, that Jesus is coming back. And because of that, he is wanting to raise up an army. And are you ladies willing to be the Rahab, not Rahab the harlot, but Rahab? Are you willing to be Rahab and raise up Boaz's, raise up Joshua's, raise up King David's, King Josiah's, and Mary's that will change the world? Are you ladies willing to do that? And so when we sing, I want you to pray, Lord, what risks do I need to be taking as a mom, as a spiritual mom, as a grandmother, an aunt, a sister? And gentlemen, I'm not leaving you out. Gentlemen, in a moment, I want you to come and I want you to pray. 
If your wife is here and your daughter's here, I want you to pray for your wife. I want you to pray for your daughter. If you don't have anybody, then you need to adopt somebody. And I know it's awkward, but do it anyway. I sat in a Mother's Day service as a single lady once, and I was standing right there, and I said, Lord, I have no husband, and I have no godly father. And all of a sudden, I felt a man's hands on my shoulder, and he placed me right in between his wife and his daughter. And in that moment, he adopted me. And I was able to be prayed for as a child of God. And I don't want any lady without prayer today. So gentlemen, come on forward. Thank you once again for joining me on the Unique On Purpose podcast. And maybe you're that mom out there that needs to take some risks to protect your family. Which risks do you need to take? And if you are interested in having me come speak at your event, go to rachelgenneman.com and click on the speaking banner. Just as a reminder, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next week.